Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew preaches on the Kingdom Norms, Part 1, preached on February the 23rd, 1997. We are looking to that portion of Scripture, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. First, we will look at the first 12 verses of Matthew 5 in the next number of Sundays. But today we will look at verse 3, which tells us, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The first 12 verses tell us the character of a believer. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The Sermon on the Mount has produced, let me tell you, mountain of books, mostly misinterpretations of it. You remember Tolstoy, the Russian novelist? He thought that if one would practice the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount, then society will be so transformed that we will be living in a utopian kingdom. Mahatma Gandhi, an Indian Hindu, he loved the Sermon on the Mount and he thought the same as Tolstoy. If only we can practice the Sermon on the Mount, then all problems will be solved. Peace and harmony will prevail in the world. Julian the Apostate, the 4th century Roman, it is said that he said, let us confiscate all the properties of Christians. For the Bible says, blessed are the poor. They will inherit the kingdom of God. Theological liberalism interpreted the Sermon on the Mount as the road map to social progress. And you know the history of this century repudiated such superficial understanding of societal problems. A large segment of the evangelical church known as the dispensationalists, they will look upon the Sermon on the Mount and they would say that it is totally irrelevant to the church, to the Christians. They see it as the ethics of the millennial kingdom which will be ushered in when Jesus Christ comes again. There are others who will interpret the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus Christ giving us the correct interpretation of the Mosaic Law, which of course no one can keep. Therefore, the Sermon on the Mount will drive you to grace. The correct view is that the Sermon on the Mount is a part of Christ's authoritative teaching which depicts the character of the citizens of the kingdom of God 
which Jesus Christ came proclaiming. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, the Sermon on the Mount, when correctly interpreted, speaks of the character of every true believer in Jesus Christ the King. In the 28th chapter, we read the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. He sends his apostles to all the world that they may make disciples, that they may baptize them, and that they may teach them whatsoever things the Lord told them. In other words, including the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is apostolic doctrine, relevant for you and for me. The Sermon on the Mount, of course, assumes that one has repented and has entered into the kingdom of God. Chapter 4 of Matthew Verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, the sermon is preached, and this teaching is given to those who have repented and entered into the kingdom of God. It is a teaching for the citizens of the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount assumes that one has heard the gospel, that Christ died for our sins and was raised for our justification. It assumes that one has trusted in Jesus Christ alone for his eternal salvation. It assumes one has been regenerated and one has repented of his sins and trusted in Jesus Christ alone. It assumes one has become by grace a citizen of the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Born of the spirit. Otherwise you cannot see or enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, when you study the Sermon on the Mount, you will notice the kingdom of God is the controlling theme. Of this section. You see reference to the kingdom of God. In chapter 5 verse 3 and 10. Verse 17 through 20. Chapter 6 and verse 10. And verse 33. And chapter 7 verse 12. And 21 through 23. So then if you are a Christian. You are to live in accordance with the sermon on the mount. Let me tell you, Tolstoy was wrong, Mahatma Gandhi was wrong, theological liberalism was wrong, because no unbeliever is able to live this ethics. This is the ethics of grace. Only spirit born and spirit indwelt citizens of heaven are able to live by this kingdom regulation. 
Paul says in his epistle, Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The dead, in other words, are to be made alive by the Spirit of the living God to do good works and to shine as lights in this world. So every believer has been made alive and has been translated into the kingdom of Christ from the dominion of darkness. We are under the rule of Jesus Christ the King. And we therefore demonstrate by the divine dynamics of the Holy Spirit, the character in a measure outlined in the sermon. And thus we shine as lights in a crooked and perverse and immoral dark world. Now turn with me to chapter 5 and verse one, now when he saw the crowds, he went upon a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying. Now when you look at the location of his teaching, in the Greek text we are told he went up to the mountain. A specific mountain, we do not know the name of this mountain. It is a mountainside on the west of the Sea of Galilee. And he frequently took disciples to the mountainside. You see Jesus taking some disciples to the Mount of Transfiguration. He gave the Olivet Discourse on eschatology on the Mount of Olives. As recorded in chapter 24 and 25 of St. Matthew. And he also gave his great commission on a mountain, as we read in 28th chapter of St. Matthew. He took his disciples away from the noise of the world, a spiritual retreat on a mountainside, so he could teach his disciples the things of the kingdom of God that in due time, they may be sent out to the world uh, to instruct others. So, he taught them on the mountain. He taught the disciples. Of course, there were others also with him. And now we are told, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is a divine benediction. Blessed. And we find this idea of blessedness in many places in the Old Testament if you turn to Psalm 32 we read blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered or Psalm 1 which you know by heart blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers and so on. Blessed 
In Latin, of course, is beatus, means blessed. That's how we have this name, beatitude. Or in Greek, we call it makarisms, from the word makarios, blessed. But if you study the Hebrew word for blessed, it goes like this. Oh, the blessedness is of. The happiness is of. The abundance of happiness, in other words. The word makarios originally was used to describe the transcendent happiness of the gods. A happiness beyond care, beyond labor, beyond tears, beyond death. In other words, when we read here blessed, the meaning of course is the immeasurable, superabounding, divinely conferred joys of a believer in Jesus Christ who has come to know the meaning of Paul's statement, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Let me tell you, if you are a pornography man, or if you are a man who gets the pleasure from drugs, or from any other material things, of course, there are pleasures in sin. But let me tell you this, Oh, the happinesses of the abounding joys of those who are poor in spirit. Don't ever look upon a Christian as though he is baptized in gloom and misery. And if you are behaving that way, you are not practicing this characteristic. It is the inexpressible joy St. Peter spoke about in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 8. And here St. Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. And this benediction, blessed, makarios, this benediction in a measure is the fulfillment of the Aaronic benediction that we read about in the book of Numbers, chapter 6. The Lord bless you, and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. It speaks of happiness and joy of our communion with God. For true blessing consists not in things, but in the gift of fellowship with a holy and loving God. And we know that this fellowship with a holy and loving God has been made possible through the mediation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Now look at this pronouncement, blessed are the poor in spirit. It is totally contradictory of all the benedictions the world pronounce. And in the world we hear, blessed are the powerful, blessed are the wealthy, blessed are the rich, blessed are the blonde, blessed are the beautiful, blessed are the tall, blessed are the politicians, blessed are the well-born, blessed are the citizens of the United States. That's why everybody else wants to come to this country, isn't that true? We don't hear this. Here we are told something completely and totally different from the ideas of blessedness of the world. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word poor is interesting. There are two words in Greek. One word, penes. It means one who is a laborer. And at the end of the day, he has nothing left over. Just enough to exist, nothing left over. But the word used here, poor, tokos, it means the one who has nothing. The one who is a beggar. The one who is completely empty. Blessed are not. The economically poor, let me tell you, there is no spirituality in poverty. Poverty as such is not blessed. The poor and the rich can equally be arrogant and wretched. We are told that the gospel was preached to the poor. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says that, Matthew 9 and verse 5. The gospel is preached to the poor. What does it mean? Poor in the Old Testament. Poor in the Old Testament are those who trusted in the covenant God. In the midst of their afflictions and persecutions and poverty. They trusted in their God. So poor in spirit are not economically poor, but poor in the presence of God in regard to spiritual qualifications to merit salvation. The poor in spirit are not self-assertive, self-reliant, self-confident, self-centered, self-sufficient. The poor in this context are not baptized in the waters of self-esteem. The poor are those people who do not boast in their natural characteristics, their birth, their family, their nationality, their education, their physical looks, their race, their wealth, their personality, their culture. The poor in this context means those who are conscious of their sins in the presence of a, an infinite, most holy God. 
They know all their righteousness. It's as Isaiah said, like filthy rags before a holy God. Turn with me to Isaiah 57th chapter and the 15th verse. And we read this, for this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Or turn to Isaiah 66 verse 2. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Let me tell you, poor are those who are conscious of their own sins. Let me illustrate this poverty of spirit from the Holy Scriptures. Let's turn to Luke chapter 5. And there you find Saint Peter. There was the miracle of a great catch of fish when they obeyed the command of Jesus Christ. And now in Luke 5 and verse 8 we read when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. If you want to be successful, be pushy. Push yourself forward. Package it correctly. Sell it in the marketplace attractively. Assert yourself. Number of uh, students took an examination in mathematics. Students from various countries. But before the examination, they asked Students, how they felt about this examination that is coming up. And American kids were number one in their confidence. Because they all were baptized in the waters of self-esteem. But they came last in mathematics. The Koreans, uh, they, they came somewhat last in confidence... And came first in mathematics. We are afflicted by this pushiness. This ungodly self-confidence. That I can do everything. Let's look at St. Paul. How he illustrates this idea of being poor in spirit. Turn with me to the epistle to the Philippians. Chapter 3, and let me read to you from verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal persecuting the church, 
As for legalistic righteousness, perfect, faultless. That's what he thought until he met God. And now let me read to you, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them dung, rubbish, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Poor in spirit is coming to God. Conscious of our sin and utter lack of righteousness. Confessing that we are totally unqualified to commune with God. Calling all our assets to be liabilities before God. Looking at them as loss and dung and garbage, rubbish. Or turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 6 and read 1 through 7. The thrice holy God in his glory appeared to Isaiah. And he said, woe unto me. I'm undone. I'm nothing. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm unqualified. That is being poor in spirit. Empty of any righteousness. Having no good works. Full of sin. Needing grace and grace alone. Needing that righteousness that comes to us by faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, look at the prodigal son. He went away from his father in all his arrogance. And he began to be in want in a far country. And there was a famine. He had nothing to eat. Nobody wanted to employ him. And the text says he came to himself. And he comes to the father saying, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm unworthy to be called your son. That's poor in spirit. Or turn with me to Luke chapter 18, the story of the Pharisee and the publican. Luke 18 verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. And look down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Or even like this tax collector standing next to me. In other words, I fast twice a week. And give a tenth of all I get. He's not poor in spirit, is he? 
No Pharisee is poor in spirit. He is rich. The problem is God sends away rich empty. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, A small short prayer. God have mercy upon me a sinner. That's being poor in spirit. And notice the Pharisee went home condemned. And the publican went home, we are told, directly justified. Let me tell you, this poverty of spirit is the fundamental trait of a regenerated soul. It is the key characteristic of a citizen of the kingdom of God. It is the first and foundational characteristic. And without this, you cannot be in the kingdom of God. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Or oh, turn with me to Matthew 21 and let's hear what Jesus himself speaks about this particular issue. Matthew 21 verse 31 and 32. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. This is always true. Wherever the gospel is preached, only the poor in spirit enter into the kingdom of God. Because they come with consciousness of their own lostness, their own sinfulness. They confess that they are full of guilt. They confess that they are totally unqualified to enter into the kingdom of God. And what happens? God allows them to come in. As they trust in Jesus Christ. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. But you see the Pharisees were full of righteousness. Like we learn, Saul of Tarsus was full of righteousness. Which he later identified to be done and laws. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. They said, I'm a sinner. I agree with you, Jesus Christ. I agree with the Bible. I agree with your description of a sinner. I am that sinner. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. The rich he sends empty away. Publicans and prostitutes. They didn't claim any righteousness. So they got it. Pharisees claimed their own righteousness. They didn't get it. Turn with me to Revelation. The book of Revelation chapter 3. And verse 17, you say, this is the church of Laodicea, you say, and now Jesus reads the mind of the church, you say, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
rich need of nothing. And I'm sure some of you who hear my voice, you think you are rich. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying about you. Wretched, pitiful, poor, and blind. And he gives you counsel how to become rich. How to receive sight and how to be clothed. John Murray, uh, my professor, the late professor of systematic theology at Westminster Theological Seminary, it is reported that when he died, this is what he prayed before he died, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And I have no doubt that he entered into his glory. So poor in spirit are those who are in agreement with the doctrine of total depravity, total inability. They don't argue against that doctrine as set forth by St. Paul in Romans chapter 3. And let me read to you, it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The poor in spirit shall never argue with that biblical declaration of the total inability of man. The poor in spirit will never argue with what Jesus said in the book of Mark, chapter 7 and verse 21. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. The poor in spirit will agree with all that and more. They do not rely on their works for their salvation. They see by the grace of God their righteousness as filthy rags. They are broken hearted. They repent freely and forsake their wickedness. They are humble. They fall prostrate before God and beg for mercy. They alone can sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was blind but now I see I was lost. I am found, I was dead, I am alive. They have been admitted to the kingdom of God, having been taken out of the kingdom of Satan. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But in the Greek, it is a little strong. It says, theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of God. In other words, they alone are blessed. It is a lie when we hear, blessed are the rich, blessed are the arrogant, blessed are the pushy, blessed are the self-confident, blessed are the wealthy, blessed are the educated, blessed are the blown, or blessed are something else. The truth is, blessed are the poor in spirit, and they, and they alone belong to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God belongs to them. They alone, in other words, are citizens of the kingdom of God. The truth here is this. 
others are left out of the kingdom of God. Others are left in their darkness, in their lostness, in their arrogance, in their pride. In fact, turn with me to St. Luke. He not only gives benediction, but he also speaks malediction. Luke 6, verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. They're all cursed. Only certain ones are blessed, the poor in spirit. Martin Lord Jones says this, all true believers are like this. All true believers will have all these characteristics as listed in Matthew 5, 1 through 12. He says none of these characteristics are natural, but spirit produced. And these characteristics show our utter difference from the people of the world. That Christians and non-Christians belong to two different spheres, two different kingdoms. We belong to the kingdom of God. And they belong to the kingdom of this world, kingdom of Satan. Then we are told for theirs is the kingdom of God. Es, estin, is. Not will be, is. That means kingdom of God belongs to us now. True believers alone belong to the kingdom of God. We are heirs of this kingdom even now. Even now, we enjoy the blessings of the kingdom of God in a measure. Even now, we enjoy forgiveness of sins. Let's praise God. That is the truth. Even now, we enjoy justification by faith. Even now, we have peace with God. Even now, we enjoy the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Even now, the Holy Spirit dwells in us and guides us. Even now, we have the dynamic of the kingdom of God. Even now, we are made able not to sin. Even now, we enjoy true freedom. Freedom to love God and to hate sin. That's ours even now. Even now, we can resist the devil by faith in Christ and the devil shall flee from us. Even now, the gifts of the Spirit are distributed to us. Even now, the Spirit produces fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, patience, all these in us. Even now, we are enabled to resist temptation of the devil successfully. Even now, we are enabled to rejoice in tribulations also with the joy unspeakable and full of glory. Even now, we are heirs of God and joined heirs with Jesus Christ. Theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of God. Now the question is how to become poor in spirit. My counsel is turn off the noises of the world. 
Turn off the voices of the world. Go to the mountain. Be with God. Look at him. Turn to Westminster Confession of Faith. Chapter 2 and read it. The chapter entitled of God and of the Holy Trinity. And take a look at that. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligent seek him and withal most just and terrible in his judgment hating all sin and who will by no means clear the guilty read it read the holy scriptures and see the eternal almighty true and living infinite God and we will shrink into oblivion into great poverty and then Pray to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that he may humble you, make you broken-hearted, contrite, poor in spirit, that he may grant you repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me assure you, he who breaks your heart will also heal your heart. He who humbles you will also exalt you. He who causes you to fall will also cause you to rise also. He who makes you poor will fill you with his riches. He who causes you to grieve over your sins shall make you rejoice with joy everlasting. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs, theirs alone is the kingdom of God. Now you can see how terrible is arrogance because it puts you outside and keeps you there. Outside of kingdom of God, outside of the realm of life, outside of the realm of the spirit of the living God, outside of the kingdom which Jesus Christ ushered in. And St. Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness. Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You want pleasures? You think pornography will do it? You think money will do it? That's what the devil wants you to think. Because he doesn't want you to enjoy eternal pleasures. Everlasting joy. Hallelujah. You know God is with us and he wants to pronounce that benediction upon you. What do we have to do? Tell God I'm nothing. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. I deserve damnation. I'm lost. I'm sick. I'm dead. Simple prayer. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Heavenly Father, I pray that you have mercy upon all of us. Pronounce your benediction upon us. Say concerning us, blessed are you. For we learn from the word that you came to seek and save the sinners. That you didn't come to seek righteous and nice people, powerful people, educated people, well-born people, 
tall people. Lord, you came to seek and save sinners. Have mercy upon us. Save us, O God. Fill our hearts with unspeakable joy. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.